Start in T minus ten seconds. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. We have ignition. Ahoy there, mateys. It's time to set sail on another episode of Unconstitutional Awakening, the podcast. I'm your host, Jim Bob Shorts, and today with me for this special edition of the A Sea of Thieves Part 2, I've got Bandit with me, Neptune with me, and Ox has joined us today. So this, you know, we're we're gonna dive into this second part of eight of piracy in this deep dive series docu-series that we're doing. And uh, this week's center focus is going to be Asian piracy. I know last week we started way back in 1400 BC, which, you know, believe it or not, there's been sea peoples since then. And even along the lines of the same time frame in the early centuries of like the first and second century and stuff, due to the Han dynasty falling, you know, there was a lot of piracy going on in the Asian seas, whether it was Korean, Japanese, Chinese, but you know, we're, we're just going to cover it in general today. So, you know, you guys, you guys sit tight and buckle up, get, get ready to set sail on this awesome historical, you know, inform, awesome, historical, informative little mini docu-series that we're working on. So before we get too far into it, I want to I want to say thank you to everybody over there on BitChute, Rumble, Odyssey, and all the audio podcasts worldwide that are checking into this show and giving us all the love and support that we need. Like it's it's pretty it's pretty awesome to have all these different folks finding reason to hang out with us on random evenings of the week. And uh, you know I'm, I'm gonna go around the table real quick before we jump into our uh, jump into our plugs and see how everyone's doing on this fine Sunday afternoon. How are you doing there, Bandit? outstanding neptune what you got for me today buddy how you doing doing well man uh not a whole lot just glad it's the weekend glad it's sunday glad to just be taking it easy and hanging out and ox you're over here with us this week i'm so glad to see you around a little bit more i'm glad you're uh i'm glad you're getting things situated on your end so we can have you a little bit more how you doing this morning i'm doing okay six feet on the right side of the ground today right that's right. That's right. And I know, I know it's way early for you over there on, uh, on the other side of the country from us. So I appreciate you getting up this early and having some fun with us today. I'm glad I can. Awesome. Awesome. And you guys, you know, the best way you can give us a little bit of help and love and support, of course, you know, you can find us on most social medias over there on Facebook. We're under Captain Conspiracy and the Freedom Pirates. And uh, you can find me and Neptune over there on uh, 
on TikTok. Neptune's floating around over there as the Carolina Commando. And of course, you guys know Jim Bob Bubble Shorts. And the main place you can find all of us is right here on unconstitutionalawakening.com. It's got everything set up here from, you know, little blog news things that we try to post up there to our podcast to UA Social. Um, you know, and you can even listen to the show directly on there. Find all these awesome, really cool links that I'm showing for those of you that are watching to uh, get back to where you can watch us. And you can even scroll down right here and check out our sponsors and check out this right here. This link right here takes you to, uh, to we'll, we'll take you to our merch store and you can get you some sweet unconstitutional awakening merch. We got all kinds of good stuff over there. <clears throat> and uh, speaking of our sponsors, you know, we got we got those great folks over there that have been trying that are friends of liberty. And, you know, they're just trying to make a difference in the world by offer, offering alternative uh, alternative sources to get things that help you out in your daily needs. Like my buddy over there, Kirk Elliott at KirkElliottPhD.com forward slash Jim Bob forward slash Kirk is uh, he's big into consulting things and helping you make good investments with your money, whether it be gold, silver, trusts, whatever you believe in investing in. And probably a good idea because the rate that everything's going, paper money is probably on the way out the door. I'm not for digital either, but having something good and physical in your pocket that could probably get you around would probably be a good idea. So y'all go on over there and hit Kirk up, see what he can do for you, man. He's, he's a real good dude. Then we got Peachy Key Creations. She's over there making homemade candles, homemade soaps, and she's even an energy healer. And, you know, if you don't know too much about that, feel free to reach out to her and find out what she can do for you, man. There's, there's all kinds of good stuff going on over there, including, including a pirate-themed soap to go along with the show. So you guys make sure you get over there and check that out. That's Peachy Key Creations. She's over there on Facebook. And then my little buddy making camping first aid and survival stuff, as well as plate carriers and ghillie suits, Ammo Can Survival. He's over there on Instagram, man. He's a real good young dude with a bright future. And uh, I, I really feel, you know, I'd, I'd feel honored if you guys would support this guy in his venture of trying to make people safer and smarter on a daily day, day to day basis. And then lastly, my buddy over there, Brett Pike at classicallearner.com with Homeschools Connected and the Cubs to Bears books. He's uh, this homeschools connected. He's is like a private homeschool community, and he's bringing all kinds of things to help you raise your kids outside of the indoctrination system. Whether it be curriculums that set up different things daily on how to do things, to his Cubs to Bears books, which give you a uh, an overview of history that you can help teach to your children, so that they're learning proper things about history instead of the propaganda they're fed. So, you know, I appreciate all you guys, and I appreciate all the folks that support our friends of Liberty. And I appreciate everybody that supports this show. You know, as we mentioned in the hundredth episode just the other day, we are well over ten thousand views and listens and stuff like that. And I think that's pretty amazing because who'd have thought that some random weirdo with a pirate hat would have made it this far? So, on this uh, on this episode, though, of course, we're about to jump into part two of our piracy deep dive. And I guess the best way to start that off is uh, to make note that. You know, piracy itself has been in in paperwork, documented and stuff since like 1400 BC. And that was over in the Mediterranean area and stuff like that. But when you get over there into Asia during the, during the Han Dynasty and the fall of it and stuff, there's many stories of Asian pirates, you know, just, I mean, being brutal. Like they, they, they were definitely a, one of the more brutal sets of pirates that are out there that were no hold bars and wanted to come out on top. And the so, one thing is, is like you, I don't understand why this hasn't been brought mainstream, like the golden arrow. 
you know, sure. the Asian piracy or the Mediterranean piracy, <clears throat> anything really BC pirate related. It, it was never, and if they wanted to make like amazing like pirate movies, they really should have gone BC. They really should have gone BC era. The whole golden age has been done since, you know, forever. That's all anybody, anybody, anytime anybody thinks of a, pi a pirate, they automatically think of the Jolly Roger. Sure. They don't realize it goes back <laughs> 10,000 years before that. 10, it really does. Yeah, 10,000. As, as we were discussing, you guys, uh, it may very well be the second oldest documented uh, profession. Next to prostitution. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, you know, a lot of the, so, so the Asian pirates after the Han Dynasty fell uh, down in like the islands of Southeast Asia, you know, the coasts of Japan and Korea and even the Philippines were full of sea peoples that were a part of slave trades as well as, you know, just stealing things from, you know, European, Arabic, and even Chinese you know, like like boats that were supplying things and stuff out there and traders and stuff like that. And so a lot of pirates were were used in slave trades and stuff like that because, you know, I guess I guess some of these higher up crown type groups didn't want to have their name all over these things. So you would have Chinese, Japanese, Korean pirates out there, <clears throat> you know, during what they called pirate season because there's monsoons and stuff out there. And they would get out there and like just be hitting these groups hard, whether it be a slave ship or a trade ship or a spice ship or something like that, and just taking everything that they had. Like they they were some of the most notorious like pirates there was. Like they 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 when I say they were no hold bars like I did a minute ago, like these guys would not hesitate to just come up out of nowhere and and do their thing. And they they were big about even going back into the river systems of like China and stuff like that and working on areas like that. It's now it's, it's quite wild to see actually go ahead. Nathan. Help me out here. Um, as far as the kind of ships that they used in that time period, oh. uh, I, I love to see working with junks. I believe it was. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, bandit. Um, and as far as those go, from what I understand, they were quite agile in addition to being quick. Or uh, so, so is there any information we could possibly pull up on, on what gave it those distinct advantages? Because that in and of itself, being the, the vessel that so many of these pirates they came just, on. Uh, they were mostly, they, it's due to them being smaller, I think. Yes, the junk ships. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, okay. Hold on, they I'm weren't like your one. heavy, your heavy um, uh, uh, frigates, ship of the line, mm -hmm. galleons, uh, mm -hmm. brigandines, um, just your larger English, French uh, right. vessels. I think it yeah. also had to do with their construction too. They didn't use like because. Um, the, the ships during the golden age of pirates were like what you would think Massive. of when you think of pirate ships. Mm -hmm. Their hulls were, you know, a f two feet thick, two feet thick, you know? Yeah. 
That's huge. That's colossal. Exactly like, and to turn something like that, not exactly, you know, you're not going to exactly turn on a dime. No, well, and that's and, that, and that's a thing with them with them using these smaller ships. They were they were able to perform their raids, uh, you know, a lot quicker. It's, it's it's actually something that carried over into modern piracy. They use a lot of smaller type ships so that they can move quicker through the ocean and get in and out on these larger ships a lot quicker. You know, yeah, where yeah. we where we talked about the early Mediterranean pirates in the last episode, they had ships big enough to ram other ships in a sense to knock them down. The Asian pirates weren't so much about, you know, taking out the entire other ship as they were about getting up onto the other ship and basically murdering everybody aboard. Yeah, and it's like they they focused a lot more so than like what you think other pirate piracy eras they focused a lot on river piracy yes yes they were big into river piracy and and have some of the most notorious you know pirates of of their area in that time even a pirate a female pirate queen that i mean she she terrorized everything through there with her red flag feet you know, I mean, we're talking about a lady that had fifteen hundred ships and and more than eighty thousand sailors. Like, wow. like that that in its own is just is just wild. And I want to get a little bit, you know, into her here in a few minutes. But when you go back, way way back to early early Asian piracy, you've got the legend of, and I'm going to butcher his name, and I'm apologize, but you've got the legend of. Chang Po Sai, who was a Hong Kong pirate, often portrayed as a Robin Hood of sorts, and was the son of a fisherman who was captured by pirates when he was 15 years old. But he taught the pirates that he captured his ways of being a fisherman and stuff, and was eventually adopted into the into the Chinese pirates themselves. And he he had a army of over 20,000 men with several hundred ships. And and like, man, he was out there taking treasures. He was out there taking, you know, this, that, and the other. But he was more after going, like, against the Europeans and stuff like that that were invading in their area, and taking their stuff and redistributing it to his people. Uh, there's not much like physical evidence of him other than drawings like this and stuff. But I mean, that's that's on its own. You know, that that's something on its own. You're you're talking you're talking. It's right around the Han Dynasty time, so what first second century of existence that is like documented and stuff like this is this goes back pretty far, and he was a pretty pretty rad dude if you ask me. Like I don't know, there's just there's some good stuff out there, man. When it comes to these guys, they're wild. Well, wow. I, I think you can almost look at it as paralleling a rags to riches story in a lot of ways because he goes from being quite literally a prisoner to having an army of his own that he leads, but that army adopted him. They really, truly chose him as their leader. And, and he led them for, I, I don't know whether it was a long time or not, but to amass an army or a following that large is quite impressive, especially as, as a slave, a captive. So this is, this is like some of the depictions of how the, 
the pirates of that time were, you know, just at war with the with the Han dynasty. Like that's, you know, of yeah. course, of course, it's painted or whatever. But this is the kind of stuff that they talked about of how it was. Like these guys did not hesitate when it came to bloodshed. So, at a cursory gr- glance, too, just looking at this uh, from a perspective, what we talked about last weekend, you know, the the interpersonal relationship between trade, commerce, and piracy. Uh, China, for its part, had the largest commerce market in the world at the time. And, you know, even before the days of the Silk Road, you know, China was still then a, a large producer of opium. Yes. So that was nothing's changed. Some of the, no, not really. So just reading through that, you see where they where that desire to to capture those goods comes from because uh, it's a. Uh, it's supply and demand. <laughs> well, and a lot of and a lot of time, you know, when they were raiding these slave ships, they were that were coming from Europe and stuff like that. They weren't actually going on and killing any of the slaves. They were they were recruiting them. So they were just building their army by taking people that were already captive and being like, "Here, you can be free if you want to be a pirate." Liberate them. Well, I, I can think of no more effective way to harness somebody's uh, bitterness and disenchantment with their current circumstances than to be like, well, you could fight. And, you know, with, with all this anger and, and. Yeah, turn some angry slaves loose on the Spanish Empire. That'll, that'll get it going. It'll do the trick. That'll yeah, well. And that seemed to be a pretty common thing with with Asian piracy in its early stages and stuff like that. They were known for, you know, attacking European ships off the off the coast of like the Philippines or down there in the the Straits and stuff. And the Spanish as well, too, like the Spanish and the Portuguese, they 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 were given a really hard time when it came to trying to do anything around there because it was Asian pirates were some of the most notorious in their in their slave trade routes and stuff because they would be out there, you know, looking for prisoners and bringing prisoners and stuff to places like Australia, and and things like that. And you had just just this band of you know some of the pictures out there actually they're really funny they they almost look like Mongols. I mean they're obviously modern pictures, but and this this one's really bad, but it's just an example you know of like kind of what you. I guess mentally could see and this is such a bad picture, but it's like, you know, they, they, they were very, they were, they, they were almost Neanderthalic in their ways, you know, like they, they didn't, they didn't think about anything other than the violence that they could bring to better themselves. Cause at the end of the day, that's what they were in an attempt and attempting to try to do is live their life and, and better themselves from the things that they had come from with many of them coming from slavery and, prisoners and, and other such you know i mean it was it was it was a wild time in history like I, I mean pirates in general are a wild time in history but i guess to move forward a little bit we can jump into this lovely pirate queen that i had made mention of before because she's probably one of the most badass women of history like like you just it it's, uh Z- let's see zhang Wai sao and she was she was born poor, not far from Hong Kong in 1775. And like she she rose to fame and even had things like she she in her time frame, you know, she was around with pirates like Captain Kidd, Blackbeard, Henry Morgan, Sir Francis Drake. 
And he makes Blackbeard look like an amateur commanding an army, mercenary army of that size. Dude. That in and of itself is impressive. I, I mean, just having, on its own. Having, a, having an armada of 1,500 ships at your command, that's a monumentous feat. And I guess that's worth noting that, I mean, she technically inherited that from her husband who died. Correct. So to still follow her order, that's that without question, that makes her an absolute badass. Yeah, she um, she had she married. Let's see. There were two stories of how Chang one rescued her. One is that the ship dropped him off at a flower boat for a round of pleasure and he and he met her and was smitten by her beauty and charmed and offered to marry her. Another story is that a flower boat was raided by Chang's men who were ordered to abduct her and she agreed to the marriage proposal. So, so the, you know, there's two stories floating around there of how she ended up with him, but nonetheless, when he, like you just said, when he died, she, she took over. Like when, when he, when he, when she first came along, he only had 200 ships and within three years, the three years before he died, she had raised that just wildly on top of being a mother to two children. This woman's badass. Like you're That's out here not- on a pirate ship being a mom and also, you know, like sailing the seas and being a pirate like that. That's badass. Like just period. Mm-hmm. Enjoy your dinner, honey. I'll be back after I raid uh, after I raid a Portuguese supply ship. Uh, really. And, and and there's <laughs> there's actually mystery around how the husband died. Some say that he died at sea because of a typhoon. Some say he fell overboard. And then there's also rumors out there that there was an accident where his wife is actually who killed him because she wanted to take over. And there's even a story out there that when he had. Uh, landed in, v- in what's now modern day Vietnam that he was surprised, you know, by like a, an ambush and killed on site. So there's no real story as to what killed him that led to her becoming the leader, but she did inherit the red flag fleet, which I mean, that, that in itself is just amazing. Cause you, you, yeah. You, you, don't, you don't think about female pirates, but as we mentioned in the first episode, and we'll continue to mention throughout this thing, there, there seems to be a lot of female pirates in history. It seems to just be something that they were drawn yeah, it, to, maybe? It, yeah, I think that's very plausible that it would be a, a means to make, to make money and make a living, right? Like, we already talked about that. That yeah. it was seen before it was written off as being a, an uncouth line of work, that it was very common. So it's fair to assume that history has seen a, a lot of uh, a lot of women pirate commanders. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, uh, absolutely makes Blackbeard and anyone in <laughs> in the British Empire or in any of or any fleet commanders in the European navies. You, you commanding a, an army that large, that's that's just fucking awesome. Yeah. In my opinion. The only misconception is that Blackbeard was this this 
uh, amazing pirate commander that couldn't be reckoned with. And the reality was uh, he was very feared due to his stature. He was, uh, I, reports range from uh, saying he was six feet tall to six foot six. Uh, at any rate, he was very tall for the time period. Six feet tall was still a giant back then. Uh, he had a very thick, full black beard, obviously, uh, given his nickname. But in addition, he was educated. He was a very educated man, and that really intimidated a lot of his opponents. But he did not have the charisma. Uh, uh, sometimes I actually think... find that with a lot of pirates, believe it or not. They, yeah. they weren't these, like, um, they, they were, a lot of them were actually highly educated, though. Some of them were even former naval officers. Yes. You've... Yeah, Blackbeard so, himself it's, what served yeah. uh, Queen Anne. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, these in, guys in the, aren't in the British Navy, but you know these guys yeah. aren't your typical like. Well, they knew what they were doing. So, they knew what they were and, doing, yeah, and I think to that, I, and I think to that end, I think one thing that's remained true is what we know of pirates in any cursory glances is based in reputation, like, and I think that's how a lot of them become become feared is that word of mouth. And that's where I think a lot of legends begin. Well, getting into the era of the Ming Dynasty, you a lot of your pirates of that time were were ex like navy for like the Japanese or whatever, mainly in that area. And then, but they were good about re- recruiting from the lower classes of society, including you know just flat out poor people, fishermen, people that were. You know, they were fleeing from ob- obligatory labor, like state buildings and stuff like that. And, you know, there, it was men and women, and a lot of them would be fleeing from taxation and stuff like that. And freedom in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so they were, they, were will, they were willingly joining local pirate bands so that they could, you know, give themselves a better life, a more closer life to freedom. Whether, you know, sure they were engaging in improv you know smuggling and or illegal trade but like <sighs> legal and right you know, this is just something we cover a lot on our show here but legal and right are two different things you know when you really get into the into the just of this they were going after groups mostly groups of european and you know even asian that were in into the in these trade worlds trading not only spices and goods but you know, a lot of slavery. Like it, it seems that in the, in, especially in the Japanese pirate routes during some of this time and stuff, which I'll, I'll pull that a map up of it. They were, they were out there like just getting rid of slaves in that area, like getting rid of slave trade in this area. And a lot of them were recruiting these so-called slaves from this trade, you know, these traded area. And the thing I want to make mention of is this is, you know, if you're if you're watching, if you're not, come and check this out. But uh, this is like their routes that they were known to be hiding in, and all of these little rivers right here are also areas that they were known to come back into and go ham, like right there on the coast, without even having to be in the ocean. So that in itself is is pretty pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of amphibious warfare that goes into that, and you have to have you have to have soldier foot soldiers willing to to make that fight on land when it gets up close and personal like that 
if you're not out completely. in the open sea. Completely. You know, they they the 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 Southeast Asian time of piracies in itself really set the you know set the bar i think for leading into like the golden age of pirates and stuff because you know you made you had made mention a minute ago about blackbeard being a former you know former military for queen anne and even though they kind of stole stole the story to give it to jack sparrow in uh the pirates of the caribbean's like movies and stuff there is some truth to blackbeard walking away from the work with Queen Anne because he didn't want to have part in the slave trade, which when you start getting into these Asian pirates, you see that they were trying to also stop slave trades. Like that was their, that was their biggest thing. I think was rescuing people that have been either imprisoned or considered slaves by the state at the time, or, you know, the time that, or the area that they came from. To that end, that doesn't make sense. Why she, uh, why Xing Shi had gone to war with uh, with the uh, incumbent dynasty at the time. She waged full-scale war against them. She did. She did. She went, I mean, they went ham. And I mean, you, when you've got an army of 80,000 people and that many ships floating around out there, who's going to stop it? I think it's important to note that not only did she have an army of 80,000 and that many ships as well, but because they're breaking up these slave trades, uh, without a doubt, unequivocally, the most valuable commodity in the world at that time period was manpower. It arguably still is. And to be able to take away manpower from your opponents while also boasting such incredible manpower on your own end was a remarkable feat. I mean, uh, just a, a marvel to behold. Really. Denial of resources is a... That's a battle tactic. Bandit knows something about that. Mm-hmm. Denial of resources is the one of the key tiers of warfare. So, so here's a funny, here's an interesting little fact that a lot of people probably don't even know. There was a tribe of Asian pirates known as the Bugis tribe, B-U-G-I-S. And if you've ever wondered where the name Boogeyman came from, well... Oh. It purportedly originates from the Bugis tribe, a tribe of South Salonese Indonesia pirates. The Bugis people were infamous pirates who, during the colonial times, often pillaged English and Dutch trading ships from the British and East India Company. And they were known for traveling as far as Australia and New Guinea just to trade. And some were even working as mercenaries un, you know, underneath the Dutch and European armies that they didn't even, you know, they didn't realize. But the expression, the boogeyman is coming to get you, is to believe to have arisen from the deeply rooted fear that European mariners from centuries past had the boogeyman, B-U-G-I. And even today, the boogies people are still associated with piracy attacks on land and sea around Indonesia. So, like, that that's pretty, pretty mm. freaking interesting, you know, that a whole entire tribe of... Indian warfare pirates create, you know, or why people are worried about a boogeyman. That's psychological warfare. And if you notice, I mean, I think anything in naval history, I don't think they're, they have the most like, uh, 
what you, I'm trying to figure out the word I want to use. Uh, they have the most like superstitions attached to them. Yes. Anything naval history, even into it, that it, it even makes its way into modern day na- navies. Like I have never met more superstitious people than anybody in the navy than anybody in the navy. I mean, the the military is very superstitious. Like they have omens, but the navy, they have the most. I mean, and the, and this is just part of it. And I think they have they have better like they have better stories to tell, especially like years years ago. Anybody who's been to sea, and I guess that goes with like even anybody who goes to sea. Even just like in trade, they have the sea holds, you know, stories. It really does, man. The sea holds terror is unknown. That's the reality. It's yeah. so sprawling, and we don't know anything about the floor of the ocean. Oh. It's this terrifying. We know more about space so, than we know about our own ocean. So I, I, I can kind of speak to that but on the story of you know on being superstitious the most haunting thing in the world really is being on the open sea at night yes you are pitch black yeah and if you ever ever from the mast or on on the flight deck wherever you're looking if you're looking out over the open ocean you know that story that you see mirages in the desert if you walk long enough from the matter of dehydration you start to think you see things being out on the open ocean at night and you have to you you're almost doing a double or a triple take because you thought you saw something you thought you saw a you thought you saw another ship in the shipping lane you try to hail and there's nothing there you go up to investigate what you thought you saw where you thought you saw it and there's nothing actually there. So I, I think there's a, there's some uh, supernatural that goes into that. Especially men who've served in the Pacific definitely have more stories than those who've served with the Atlantic fleets and I such. Mean, where do they, where do you think they get these? I mean, let's even look at it from like pirates of the Caribbean. Look, I mean, yeah. where do you think they get all those stories? Stories have to have some element of truth to them. Oh, absolutely. There has to be some element yeah. of truth. So, because like I've said numerous times on this podcast, you can't just miraculously pull something like out of thin air you know what i mean a story you can't pull a story out of thin air without having been whether that some of that is passed on by word of mouth or you've seen it with your own eyes well and and you know you know rarely did pirates claim the label of piracy themselves you know a lot of times this goes back to people like Europeans and the Dutch and stuff like that, considering these people that are out there not following their military orders and stuff like that as enemies of, of their groups. And, you know, a lot of these pirate stories, this is why there's not so much written down about piracy as there really is, because a lot of these pirate stories were passed through word of mouth. 
you know, you, you had like, like with her, for example, she had those two children. So, you know, she passed stories down of her, you know, their father to her and stuff like that. And they probably told stories of her and so on throughout the centuries, because when you get into like Asian piracy, you see that they've got hatches. You know, you've got stuff during like the Ming Dynasty and that go way back, and then you don't see them pop back up really again until like the sixth, like the fifteenth, sixteenth century, and then you don't see them pop up again until like towards the end of the Golden Age and stuff like that. And even into today, you know, there still is a big, a big world of not only Somali pirates but Japanese pirates are are a true problem even still into the end of this day, and. A lot of this, a lot of the history, a lot of the myths, a lot of the stories and stuff either get lost to translation or, you know, get get objectified and turned into something that they weren't and stuff like that. Like the the writers of current history have done a good job turning piracy into something that's bad. When you really get into the depths of it, though, you see it as people that were just struggling to deal with their current state at the time or their taxes and stuff like that. And they were like, fuck this. We're just going to do ourselves. Uh, we don't need you guys. And I mean, shit, there's, there's a lot of proof that show that these guys did quite well for themselves, even though they didn't have the, the abilities to, you know, be, be a part of a lot of these other empires that were going on in asia and dutch and english and stuff like that so and let's not let's not forget it's, it's almost that. like they created their own state you know what i'm saying but it was on a boat there's been a huge resurgence in um modern day piracy in this in, in the southeast asian waters huge resurgence we're getting sailors soldiers fishermen uh, and just common civilians are taking to sea in Southeast Asia. I mean, I threaten all the time to just get myself a big ass boat and take it to sea. So, as long as you take me with you, you got it. There's there's a culture around it for sure. Oh, because it is. Th and there's so much culture has to do. It has to do with freedom. It really yeah. does. It has to do with freedom. People get fed up with paying taxes on taxes on taxes on taxes on taxes, getting robbed by inflation, uh, having to have permits to do everything, the government shutting down their businesses, the government doing this, and they just get they get fed up with it to a point where they're like, all right, I know a buddy who's got a boat. We're going to go do this. You know? Free men and women don't ask permission. Yeah. And, it, you know. It yeah, there's definitely it a. With, it has to do with freedom. Yeah, and there's definitely a culture around it, and you know, to people getting into that too. There's uh, from the stories you read, it, it, it's almost folklore, but there's a. It goes into, to a lot of modern Navy culture, which it's kind of it, its own clique. It's a matter of belonging, and sailors bond in a way that. I don't think a lot of other people can ever understand or appreciate unless they're am amongst their own. And there's, there's definitely a camaraderie there. So sailors, men bonding together like that. It's, that's definitely a mark of freedom. As wild as this sounds, actually, you know, I guess on the same thing, people, 
pirates have always been known for things like sea shanties and everybody puts the sea shanty into their brain with like the jolly roger flag and the golden age of pirates but it seems that the origins for the sea shanty came from a lot of these asian pirates raiding slave ships because a lot of these slaves on these ships were were singing upon being boarded and stuff like that and they brought that over with them when they became pirates and stuff and the singing thing the singing of these sea shanties that they were doing were also used as a form of intimidation because you'd be out in the middle of the ocean like you're talking in the middle of the night everything's dead quiet but then all of a sudden you hear singing and it would be it would be these pirates like as a warning an ominous warning singing as they're coming to get ready to board your ship so that i mean that that's more of that head game stuff if you really think about it because if, you know neptune you mentioned out there in the middle of the ocean late at night and mirages and stuff like that and seeing things well how uneasy would you be in a dark area all of a sudden see hearing singing coming from the middle of the ocean like that There's there is also a terrifying uh urban legend that you you almost hear it the the moment you tell a sailor that you saw a siren it's like their their ears kind of just jump up cuz they're like really yeah the the allure of beautiful women singing it turns out to be uh, a sailor's untimely death is uh is definitely as old as uh, well, pirate culture. For well, sure. I mean, I mean, I mean, think think about that. That that has to do in the, like the world of of mermaids. You know, they the the mermaid would sing to you, and the pirate would go and find it and come to their death. So, was it was it actually mermaids, or was it some of these of or was it these pirates? You know what I'm saying? Singing over here into the into the dark, and then they they go chasing after that beautiful sound that they hear, and the next thing you know, fucking. You're boarded by a couple hundred dudes that are out there just just here to rob you and kill you. Like, I mean, it's it, it's interesting to think that those two yeah. stories kind of collide. <laughs> yeah, there's a there's definitely some basis in reality there. Uh, it's very especially when you when you don't have uh, when you don't have a screen of protection uh, traveling at sea, you're very vulnerable. So you got to keep your head on a swivel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I mean, when you're when you're into something like piracy to begin with, you've got to keep your head on a swivel because you you basically painted a target on the back of your head for others to you know judge, judge you if you're not based. Yes, because if you're not if people following you uh, with the intention of detaining you, arresting you, isn't enough. You also have to reckon with other pirates that might just want to steal your loot. Yes, hundred percent. Yes, because you know, I mean, you, you sure you've got these this one group that had that giant fleet of fifteen hundred ships in the Asian piracy era, but think about that. That's the famous one. That's the one that a lot of them knew. What about the ones that were once offs or ones that were not a part of that group? They were a part of a rival group that were out there trying to rob them and stuff like that. You know, there's yes. the fact that you have so many different groups of pirates from the Mediterranean, the Southeast Asia, the Caribbean and stuff like that. And all traveling amongst themselves, they're bound to run across each other and there's bound to be turf wars 
in a sense. Yep. Of, of which which pirates yeah. area, which yeah. pirates That's ocean fair. you're in. Yep. Yeah, absolutely a turf war because it's like, it, you know, it's like going to ground in a gang war on land, right? Like you've carved out this piece of land and you say that it's yours. Much like on on the water, you could say, okay, we claim dominion over, you know, the Adriatic Sea um, in the Mediterranean, something like that. You know, uh, you know, South China Sea, uh, Vietnamese pirates, which to Bandit's point, which is starting to crop up again uh, in Southeast Asia. You know, very much they want to protect their own investment. And obviously, also not get caught. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, when when you know, most again, most people's first thought of piracy is is like illegal activities, but it's it's more closely related to the world of commerce than it is anything else, you know, because they were they were out here trading and smuggling, and they relied on merchants and stuff to out, outfit their ships and sell their plunder and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's it's it really is like you made mention earlier, one of the oldest, oldest things out there, yeah. kind of like prostitution. The logistics of the barter system are fascinating to me because, you know, it goes beyond, you know, currency, like yes. oftentimes through history. And I, I think it's going to be true again at some point is the world will rely on a barter system to some degree, whether we have currency or not. And bartering your goods or services is going to be uh, something that carries substantial weight. Could be booze, could be food supplies, food rations, uh, you know, raw materials for manufacturing and production. Those things matter. And whether you're on a on the open open sea for six, seven months out of the year, or you're just going out to make a quick dollar. Uh, still having something of value to bring home is uh, that's important. It really is. You know what I mean? And you've got, and, and you've got, you know, different, different East Asian and Southeast Asian and stuff like that groups that are going on throughout there. Like I'm not even going to try to butcher all their names, but you know, you're, we're talking prevalent in not only like the first and second centuries, but having major prevalence in like the ninth century and up to like the 15th and 16th century. Like these, these guys, these guys, especially these Asian pirates, man, it seems that when life gets tough in Asia, like you mentioned a few minutes ago, going back to it now, these guys do not hesitate to go get on a ship and just do what they do. And I, I mean, personally, I, I find it, I find it, you know, just, completely alluring and just amazing because it's just like so here's here's something interesting i actually just plucked this out of a time article i'm gonna put it in the chat for you between the years 1995 to 2013 so only nine years removed from the last year that they recorded anything on this southeast asia represented 41 percent of piracy trade or piracy attacks as reported by by this article here so i i think that represents a substantial figure in bandit to what you mentioned that uh, it's come back in a in a big way or that it never really went away at all really yeah no i mean that's 
There's another and map there, on and this there, one. And, and yeah, th- this is uh, that's yeah. whoo. So it's, it's almost du- it's uh, it's almost double uh, the Gulf of Aden, as it mentions uh, Somalia here. That was just twenty eight percent, and West African coast of eighteen. So that's uh, yeah. So Southeast Asia for sure is. Uh, oh, look, it looks like Singapore-related region is just a hotbed for all of that, which makes sense because they are essentially just a region of massive commerce. But if you look at the South China Sea and the Gulf of Thailand geographically, those are massive trade regions where they're transporting a ton of uh, product in, in general. And you'd have to be blind not to, uh, to see that happening in your own waters. So I think what you're getting is a lot of people that, like we've stated, are intelligent people, but have been pushed to the brink and basically go, this is how I'm going to get my freedom. This is how I'm going to get mine. I've had, I've had a lot of friends in my lifetime that have sold it all here in America and up and moved to the Philippines. Um, you know, and I mean, you hear about that quite a bit, especially in like the boomer generation and stuff. But like the thing about it is, is that a great example is, is my father-in-law lives in like one of the main islands of the Philippines and it's a little more modern. They're still lost in time a little bit, but one of my, one of my best friends that was spent time in the military and stuff like that, his name's Don, he sold it all and ended up on a tiny little Island with a population of less than 3000, you know, li- living out there in this Island in the Philippines. And it's one of many, like there's many, many tiny islands in like the Philippines areas and Indonesia and all these, the South Asian sea. And a lot of these tiny uncharted islands absolutely house pirates. Like, you know, my, my buddy Don, I have pretty frequent contact with him and he's told me in the past that, yeah, you can be sitting on your porch and you'll see a pirate ship go by. Like they're not, they're not out here messing with us poor folks, but they're definitely looking for other ships to, board and raid you know and that's that that's interesting you know that they that they know a lot of them know what to pass by and a lot of them you know they they're focused on basically stealing from the rich and trying to either give back to themselves or even in times coming back to their little home islands like that and celebrating their island with their people you know what i mean like a lot of these a lot of these little islands were populated strictly because of pirates if you really think about it so it's just it's, it it's quite it's quite amazing to see how much influence across the world piracy has had since its beginnings. You know, you 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 I don't think you would have near the military navy that we have today if it wasn't for threats of either threats of piracy or people that were pirates that you know maybe evolved out of the piracy and more into that and vice versa. You know, they, they, a lot of these, a lot of the maritime type things were put into place due to piracy because people were just out there living it up. However, they felt necessary to enjoy their lives and such. Agreed. Oh, but you know, I mean, it's, 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 it's amazing to see that, the Asian culture itself is such a hotbed for piracy. Like, you know, a lot of people, when you, when you think Asian culture, especially modern days, you think 
and I know this sounds terrible, but you think computer chips, really good at math, you know, stuff like that. But yet deep in deep in their DNA, these guys have been sea people for damn, probably longer than even some of the earlier stuff that we had mentioned, because, you know, you, when you get into Asian history, you see Asian history makes written English history look like a small blip on the radar. Because, you know, Asian history, Chinese history, Ming Dynasty, Ming Dynasty, all of them kind of things, they go way, 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 way back. And, you know, they were dealing with pirates before before the white man was even trying to try. Yeah, I mean, commissioned warfare or irregular warfare, such as piracy. I mean, Asian, East Asian countries, you know, they had some of the earliest invention in the improvement of warfare tactics, especially on open water. I mean, we often give credit to the Marine Corps for kind of developing what we consider the standard today of amphibious assault, but that really originated in Southeast Asia. That originated with a lot, as you mentioned from that map that you brought up earlier, having men willing to go to ground and have a, have a standing force of, of men, of sailors or otherwise mercenaries, whatever they are, that are willing to go to ground and on land for you. That's amphibious assault. That is a Marine. I mean, the, the, and the word itself is French, I think, for, for sea, for, for water. And that's where they got their name from the water or from the sea. That's where Marines in modern times of all colors get their name. So they had to have that means of both defense and offense to, to protect themselves. And, and you can, you can actually thank the Asian pirates for like modern cannons and stuff like that. You know, they were some of the first to use gunpowder. Yes. They Tang dynasty, ninth century China was the invention of gunpowder. And, and they and were that using is a, it on ships that, at that point. Was, and, yeah legit that's that's no joke that's that's modern warfare developed and, and so think about it with their little junk ships that they had you know if you were you were manned with a cannon there was no need to ram another ship to sink it you just yeah we talked yeah. because who right. else has gunpowder yeah we talked about naval rams last weekend bandit remember we talked about that and talked about the ability to to get up close and personal with a ship right and but that presents a time most of the time prior to uh, I think what most people think of piracy, it was up close and personal. It was. It was up close, dirty, and brutal. Yep. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, your, your goal was either to board the ship or sink the ship. Yeah. Yep. And like I said before, I mean, if you want to make top-notch pirate movies, they should make it prior to uh, the Golden Age. They really shoot. That's they really, so should. they really should. If they yeah. want to make a good one, I think they should explore those opportunities. I would, but I would totally, I would totally watch that. Most of the time, it's been like documentaries, but I mean, they really haven't like made a big budget like pirate flick uh, of anything prior to the golden age. Yeah, and I, I mean, we we almost romanticize the golden age of piracy because of media, because of. You know, well, it was the final. The it was the right? final, like, big era of piracy. 
when yeah. the golden age was over, piracy right. kind of just it kind of just faded away. And so that's probably why it's romanticized. I I agree. After that, the there was you know I, right and one fault for that, and I mean it's a great book. If you've never read it, Treasure Island is a great book. But I I fault Robert Louis Stevenson to a point because that book has been so heavily lifted. Oh, I totally want to watch this. It I believe it's I believe it's in Asian, but it's supposed to be taking place. I, I don't I'd rather watch it in its native tongue. Yeah. Just to appreciate yeah, the art. Subtitles. Yeah, oh yeah. I'll I'll totally watch yeah. something with subtitles, bro. That shit don't bother yeah. me at all. I've been but, watching anime for years. So but you know, we have in in the West, right? We we don't get a whole lot of good reading on stuff that occurs outside of the West or European culture in a general sense. So Treasure Island, for all its inspiration of 20th century fiction, of Pirates of the Caribbean, of Secret of Monkey Island, uh, of, of anything you can imagine from the cartoon level, from Robin Hood, uh, Peter Pan, uh, you know, Captain Hook, down Pirates of the Caribbean to now. We 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 use that as a guideline of the of the subject matter that we read. And when's the last time that you could think of? And this is kind of just a rhetorical question: Have you read a book about Asian piracy? Right in a you know in in the sense of of, of lore, like reading material in school or whatever. This movie looks you awesome, by the way. Yes, it does. I totally am going to watch that. Me too. But, but yeah, it's just it's just food for thought. I, I I don't think we've had enough exposure to that 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 influence that it had on on culture and focusing so hard on golden age of piracy is because of books like Treasure Island. Not again, not saying that it's a bad book. It's a great book. Oh, hey, that one I just showed you is actually a sequel. There is two Asian pirate movies there that are called The Pirates. Um. There's a there's a prequel to that one, which hangs out in the South Korean period of adventure. So we're 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 talking about the same time frame that we're currently talking about, and there's there's two of these movies. So I'm definitely going to be looking into it, and I totally recommend anybody else to look into it because from what I'm sitting here reading, is that they're kind of covering a lot of what happened in the Southeast Asian Sea, you know, following female pirates because again this seems to be a common trend especially you know not only worldwide but most definitely over here in asia that there were multiple female pirate queens or leaders or captains or whatever you want to call them and in that i mean that's just there's something to be said about that like don't get me wrong i, I make jokes and i don't mean any harm when i make jokes but like think about a you know a woman ruler as a pirate you know she she gets a little moody one day she might be sinking a ship. <laughs> you know, it's just it's it it's interesting to see all you know, just all of this. And I and I really am looking forward. I'm gonna check out those movies because some of those stills I was just showing, you know, if you were paying attention on the stills and you're watching, they look like they've done a really good job at taking some of these old photos that I've found and bringing them to life. You know, like the the you're 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 looking at like, you know, kind of dirty people. They didn't they didn't 
spade like we do and stuff like that. You know, it was, a, it was an old time. So there would be days, months even, that they were probably on a ship just sailing around in these areas looking for other places to either take take down or you know get get their next booty haul or whatever you want to call it and stuff and on top of that you know the mention like i did a few minutes ago of all of these little interlying islands throughout everywhere you know even in the modern golden age of pirates and stuff like that even in modern age pirates they seem to be on little island type areas so like over here in the caribbean and over near somalia and in that photo in that photo we were showing earlier between like the gulf of thailand and indonesia and everything a lot of these little outlying islands to this day could still be slam full of pirates and it's it's amazing to think that there's these little subcultures of people that are just locked away from the rest of the world doing their thing you know and not not to mention thinking about all of the ships that were like sunk you know you guys keep making mention of how we know jack shit about our oceans which we don't you can look that up yourself but think about all of the lost treasures and stuff especially in like this asian piracy time from all the ships they were sinking with cannons because they were the first persons using cannons and such like there's the amount of treasures that are just at the bottom of the sea is just I'd be down. You know what I'm saying? Like I'd be down. Let's go get some. Let's go get some scuba gear, guys. We can do unconstitutional awakening. The search for treasure. You know that one. That, it, it brings up a good point because there's lots of. It, it's almost become folklore at this point, but through through Asia and especially up through uh, all the way north into the north through like the black sea and uh across across west across eastern uh europe and asia eurasia by and large you've got many a story about lost treasures lost to the deep and uh, i also put credence into not just uh what we call the bermuda triangle which is supposed to be cursed if you believe if you believe the rumors that there are uh, far many other places around the globe that are indeed cursed and you ships go off and you just never hear from them again well i mean not not just that you know like in a lot of these times the punishment for piracy was hanging so you know if you if if you didn't get away if you did get caught you were just hung like they did, they didn't hesitate. They didn't even trial you. You were guilty of piracy, and you you were hung. So mm-hmm. this this goes into losing a lot of these stories and stuff like that because they weren't documented. They were just told by word of mouth. There's there's probably millions of pirate stories that no man will ever actually hear because the story died at sea with those pirates. Yeah, with the captain of the ship, his log went down with the ship. You're never gonna see it again. Yeah, yeah, it's at the bottom of the ocean, either eaten eat, eaten away, or if it was lucky enough to be preserved in some way. Like, you know, we're we're talking the ocean, man. Like, there, the bottom of the ocean isn't a isn't just a quick hop, skip, and a jump away. You know, it, it takes proper equipment and stuff to get down that far. There's, there's that's why there's so many areas that are still untouched. Yeah, what is it that, that the what is it the ocean covers what eighty five percent of the planet? 
and we've only explored and we've only explored like ten percent of the ocean itself. So there's there's so much to be. It leaves a lot to be desired for sure. It does, and and you know, think you got you guys got to think that these guys. Yeah, you're you're right. There's eighty five percent of the world is covered in ocean, and less than ten percent has been explored. And some of that's due to like equipment, you know, like when you get to a certain pressure, just like with a plane, things will get crushed down in that pressure down low into the ocean and stuff like that. And that's a testament to it just to live on the ocean. Sorry, Bandit, go ahead, man. No, 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 no. I I was just saying, I was just about to say, I watched a uh, documentary about they're about to go back to uh, the Marianas Trench. Yeah. And not just that, but like the unexplored oceans, how many, um, how much treasure is at the bottom of the ocean that right. we'll never see because we'll of never, the depths we'll never and areas yeah. to which it rests. Think about like the vastness of just like the Pacific. You're talking about like the Bermuda Triangle, oh, like the Atlantic. Think about the, yeah. there is a picture that presents like the haunting size of the Pacific Ocean where they rotated the globe in such a way that the entirety of like the Pacific Ocean covered like one side of the globe. If you, like, there was no if land you turn, available. If you, yeah, if you spin a globe, you'll see a you few can't. islands. You'll see a few yeah, islands. Yeah, yeah. the most Guam, isolated place. Some, some, uh, Samoa and yeah. some of the other islands like Marshall's Islands and, and things. But yeah, it's, 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 it's a void. And they it were in it's an absolute void can, and, and just to like think of during those eras of like they we don't know like as far as like navigation devices that they used or how they navigated before they had uh the uh before they had any types of modern compasses that we know of yeah um we would do that so rudimentary, in, in, yeah rudimentary objects to navigate by the stars maybe maybe yeah and um, you know you had you had a theoretical to keep track of time a, a sundial yeah to, yeah and those would be installed on ships to help keep track of keep track of time for for the crews but yeah absolutely no i You're mean it was the, very the, difficult for them to the, navigate the asian piracy era in the pacific or even just like we I don't even think we touched much on um, the river piracy um, and how vast it was in all of Southeast Asia. But just to think of being out in the Pacific Ocean, you have no understanding of how vast it is and just sailing for days and days and days and days and days and seeing no land. (laughs) You know? I mean, I've been on like fishing boats in the Pacific mm-hmm. Ocean. Like, holy hell! And well, yeah, I, I, I have, and it, it it blows your mind. And I was just off the coast of Florida, there's you know, out some, in the Atlantic and the Gulf side, and it just you, it really blows you away. You can look at pictures all day. You really can. You can look at pictures all day. You can watch videos all day. But until you've been out there and uh, and seen. Like there's felt it. Yeah. And there's there, there's something else to say about 
the resolve of pirates. And this was kind of the, the thought I wanted to close the loop on. And I think this is probably be my last thought for this episode, but it's a, it's a testament to the resiliency of pirates to be able to be out at sea for that long. And then those who adopt that, that way of life and live there year round, mm-hmm. because it, there's good solid evidence to support that being on the open sea for extended periods of time can adversely affect your mental health. And we see a lot of evidence of pirates developing abject paranoia, the, oh, your mental Jesus. health and yes. having the, the, the morale, keeping the morale up for your crew, keeping your, your, your men and women's, their mental health, keeping that, uh, keeping that in check. To, to be able to navigate the high seas and, and still perform your, do your duty. That's, uh, that's a testament to, to how strong willed pirates are throughout history. I think. Absolutely. You know, and, and, and to touch back on what Bandit had said just a minute ago about the, <clears throat> about river pirates. Um, when you do get to searching for that, now I'll share a link that I got too, that I was just sharing on screen a minute ago. the, the China China area and Southeast Asia along the along the Mekong River and the Yangtze River are even to this day slam full of river pirates. Like it it is it was a big thing for merchant ships during the olden days going up and down these these rivers in Asia that they were getting hit by pirates that were not only on boats on these rivers, but also just off land, you know, like it, the, there's a region known as the golden triangle, which had like tons of illegal trafficking of heroin and slaves and stuff like that. And that was one of the biggest spots where Asian pirates have even to this day continue to it. The golden triangle is probably the single most violent region in the entire world because of the opium trade, because of its proximity to the Silk Road and to, uh, to the river accesses that would get them on the open seas. Golden Triangle is absolutely one of the most dangerous uh, places on earth, no question. And and I guess to give everybody a visual of where the Golden Triangle is, I'll pull that up real quick because I do have a like a visual of it. But like, but like this is this area right here, and you got to understand like these rivers come running in and out of the ocean right in this area. So all up in here, and even and you know even going into areas of what is modern day Russia and stuff like that, you know, these areas are connected by river. So you've got not only the threat of Asian pirates coming from the Southeast and stuff, but you get back into having the Russian and Viking pirates coming down from the rush, you know, the Russian area down those rivers. So, I mean, I could imagine that even on some of these rivers in that golden triangle area, there is a plethora of sunken ships and treasure at the bottom of these rivers that were, Due to piracy, so no question. So and and 
you know, I think I think this has been a great little cover of a bunch of the minor things that are that happened over there in the Asian area and stuff like this. And believe it or not, the Asian piracy timeline leads right into the golden age of pirates because people like that pirate queen we discussed and stuff like that. She had a reign through the time of Blackbeard. So, you know, you've you've got to figure that these people definitely came across each other and probably knew of one another you know through legend through word of mouth through things like that on their different sea trade routes you know these people people always are like oh well they didn't discover this until europeans sailed there and it's just like bro i guarantee you these pirates have been traveling in and out of places like america south america and stuff like that long before the spanish invaded or the europeans tried to colonize you know they these pirates were probably already living lives in these areas i think it would explain things a lot a lot more when you start finding things that came from the Americas, like corn, for example, ending up in Africa, well, I bet you some pirates had a way to trade that. You know, they come across the corn when they were visiting South America and Central America, and when they brought it back to places like Africa and Southeast Asia, it was probably a great trade tool because they had never seen such a thing before. So, you know, these I, I, people don't attest the genius the pure genius i believe that is in the mind of a pirate because they don't have they didn't have the the things just given to them like fleets of you know european navy or japanese navy and stuff like that you know they 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 earned it their own way whether it be through thievery whether it be through piracy whether it be through just seeing a fucking vacant boat and taking the bitch you know what i mean like they 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 had their own ways of coming up and using their brain to get around on all this stuff. Cause there's, you, you can't sit here and tell me that a pirate was an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, sure. They might've had crew members that were completely subpar and ridiculous, but like for the most part, you've got people that are having to use their brain on the fly to keep themselves from drowning. And, and it's not just that you had a full-time cook, you had uh, some sort of doctor, you had a carpenter, a couple of carpenters. Yep. Well, in fact, that's one of those things that probably a lot of people were cross-trained. You know, and, and carpentry, yeah. blacksmiths. Yep. You had to have somebody and, that sewed for the sails. You had yes. to have somebody that was good with rig. They all had to be good rigging and, a ship, tying knots. And, a, um, and, and the captain's lifeline. Don't forget, yeah. a, a captain's lifeline is a yeoman. You have to have a yeoman, <laughs> a good communications officer on board yeah. your vessel to be able to get word out and think almost lockstep with the captain, right? The, the yeoman is basically uh, first officer on the, on the deck. Uh, besides an XO in modern times today, a, a pirate captain has to have that. If they don't have it, and that went for the, sailing, everything breaks that, down. That went for sailing across the board though i mean yeah yeah I for mean, real merchants um regular naval vessels and pirates i mean to you you had to be cross-trained in so many different things you weren't just a deckhand you also had to be you also had to know carpentry you might have to jump in and fill the blacksmith's spot you had to know how to tie knots rigging sails navigation you had you had to know these things. You might even be thrown on a gun crew. Yeah. You know, and to just to think that it wasn't about like 
stand you you weren't just standing around being a pirate man daily life was that was a 24 7 job by yeah, far daily 100%. life that's why you know that that's why the mortality rate was if you lived to be your early 40s yeah, you, yeah. Were what was old, you were an you were you were a, an old salty dog yeah, what was the average life expectancy for a pirate, Jimmy? Can you check 20s. this out? I think it was 38. I believe I so. I'll double check, though. Yeah. Was it 20? I thought it might have been a little 20s. higher. Okay, I, if I'm wrong, I'll concede. But I thought it was something in the mid-30s. But, yeah, I might be wrong. But if you reach to your 40s? Oh, yeah. No, oh, you don't get Okay, okay the, oh, this is hilarious. Life expectancy for men pressed into service, uh, you know, as a pirate. <clears throat> <laughs> two years <laughs> so if they got on board uh, from the time they like were 19 you were or 20 years old yeah you were going to be killed or you just died at sea from from unknown yeah. ailments or just so broken that you died and it, and it was either it was either <clears throat> many times crews were mutinied against Ooh. they just surrendered when they were threatened by other pirates where's disease fall on that list disease falls on this list oh, and you know, of course, if they were ever captured, they were hung for crimes of mutiny and such being yeah. being a pirate like that. But those two years you were, you might you have worked living. your ass off. Oh, yeah. And you but were. But you lived. Absolutely. And you saw places that you were more like, alive. We, take for, we take for advantage. We take advantage of being able to get online or get on our phone and just view the world. Like, then they saw things that nobody had ever seen before. You know, they might've heard about it, but they saw it firsthand. You know, it really is. Yeah. So in those two years, they, they lived and yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I got this, I got this little tidbit of information that goes along with this. It says that the light, Life for a pirate was hard, but nothing that they wouldn't expect. There were pirate politics that were quite progressive for the time, and pirates even elected their captains and such. Like, yeah, oh yeah, it, it it there was a form of democracy already in the world of piracy, along with the pirate code, like we had made mention before. That was kind of an unwritten code, you know. That these guys did follow, you know, like they're. There was a level of respect from one group of pirates to another. Don't get me wrong. Because you have to have trust in your chain of command. And this is especially true on the open on the open waters. If your chain of command breaks down, uh, you will have mutiny. It will fall apart. Sure. That's a that's in, inevitable. So yeah, I, I <clears throat> that's that's awesome to to see that they implemented whatever form of democracy that is representative of, of the crew to, to be able to trust their captain because uh, the captain is responsible for, for their lives, right? Their, their lives 100%. are in his hands. hundred percent. It's funny. You're talking, we're talking Asian piracy. It's funny how you notice the similarities in life and rules Really, I mean, when you look across piracy from its earliest documented sources to the Golden Age, you really notice a sim similarity in rules 
elected officials, ship life, and what they were about, you really notice a similarity. So that makes you think. It really does. I mean, there's there's just there's just so much there, and See, there's still so much Neptune, so much more to Neptune's come. Neptune's got it going, man. It's like you would fit right in drinking bourbon at eleven fifty in the afternoon. You would fit right in, man. Rum would go right with. <laughs> Excuse me, Bandit. It's eleven fifty in the before noon. That's actually yeah, yeah, yeah. It right, is actually right. Sailor. It is actually Sailor Jerry's. So uh, it is actually. Hey, they've the got morning. a. Uh, they've got a dark version of Sailor Jerry's that is pretty good. I might have and, to give uh, that My girl just finished uh, a bottle of Plantation pineapple rum that was fantastic well if you want a good pirate story from jim bob here the last time i got my hands on a bottle of sailor jerry i woke up on the other side of a lake that i used to live on that had like a little mountain in the middle of it (laughs) it you know in truth be told it is sailor jerry's is good but it there's there's much better out there i'm not going to spout off names because we're not sponsored that's right. Cool though, but you know we're not sponsored by any rum. I mean, so I'm not gonna get. Yeah, the the one my particular favorite, and I'll just leave its name out, is a dark spiced rum, and uh, know, it's got a giant squid. It's got a giant squid on the front of that yeah, bottle. I know what you're talking about. I think it, I think yeah. it requires a lot of self loathing to drink any sort of liquor that has a pirate on the bottle. I really <laughs> like this, and I think yeah, it directly dude. correlates with your hatred towards other people as well. I think they're. Re- Relative to each other, they're equal, but but there's a lot of hatred going on there. <laughs> but why sure. was it? Why is rum associated with piracy, though? Uh, well, actually, I, I, I do know this because as our resident know. culinarian, as our resident culinarian, this is the kind of stuff that I know. So, rum was commonly used as an ingredient in grog. I'm sure all of you guys yeah, have yeah, heard yeah. of grog. Yeah. grog. Was a mixture of water. Usually, some sort of citrus juice or citrus itself, just squeezed and then thrown in a barrel for scurvy, uh, and also for its medicinal and purifying properties. Many times, boiled herbs, or they would boil this water as an additional uh, uh, measure to purify it, because your water is being stored in a barrel that's kind of shitty on the yeah. sea. And I, I, I have, just, yeah, and I, and I have no, and I have no way of proving this. This is one of just a handful of stories around rum itself, but supposedly it had been found on accident uh, through through the fermentation process. And they just called it rum. And uh, I don't remember where it got its name, but because it was was ship prevalent in, yeah, it became associated with sailors with pirates areas. So, that makes sense also. Maybe yes. they went to store sugarcane and the liquid produced became known as rum. But yeah. to, well, know, and, to and think that a resident culinarian knows <laughs> why it's rum. There are a lot of it. stories, but well, there's so, a lot so of stories there. What they would do is they would mix the rum. They would try to purify this water however they could. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Through many steps, they would boil it with the herbs in it for their medicinal properties. Then they would add their, their citrus, usually lemon or lime, and then they would add in rum. So you have three different steps 
of trying to purify this this water because water, as we all know, is a life-sustaining element. You you need it, and especially when you're on the sea, when you're surrounded by this humidity, the constant sun beating down on you, you need it. Now, obviously, when they're transporting sugarcane, like you guys were talking about, you're in a humid area with lots of sun, and really, there's no reprieve. You can put it below deck, but at the end of the day, there's no air conditioning. You got to do what you got to do. And I'm almost a thousand percent certain that if it wasn't an accident on an island where there was sugar cane being stored, it was an accident on a ship where rum came to be. And a nice monosyllabic word was a good way of describing what you just discovered. And there actually that just brings me to a, to an interesting thing since you mentioned grog ox is that there is a mixologist somewhere on your side of the country that developed a cocktail called grog which is brown sugar lime juice and spiced rum and supposedly it's good uh i i'll i'll defer to anyone willing to try that but that's eh, not for me fair enough <laughs> well guys i think this has been an excellent part two to our sea of thieves docu-series and so before i close out i'm all as i normally do i'm gonna go around the table ox you got anything you want to throw in before we close out for the day i think i'm good i think we covered a lot of cool stuff in this episode and uh remember guys apparently if you want two years of freedom piracy is the way to go so uh yeah Neptune, what you got for me? Life uh, not lived to the fullest is a life not worth living. That's right. That's right. Bandit, what you got for me, buddy? Oh, I'm good, man. It's good. I think we start Golden Age next. We do. Our, the, the, next, the next part of this is going to be jumping into the Golden Age of Pirates, which is going to go on for a couple episodes. There's so yes. much for us to cover. And this that's one I might actually be able to contribute to more meaningfully since Asian piracy was a new concept for me. So thanks for letting me jump in and help where I could on this. Of course. Of course. No, uh, that's, I mean, that's what this is about. I'm just trying to get out here and educate some people on some stuff. You know, that's just... You, we, we, we've done a couple docu-series already, uh, went from going into nuclear stuff to the history of DARPA to the history of aliens and stuff like that. And I just felt it was necessary for us to cover the history of history of pirates, seeing as we're all pirates anyway. So, but of course, you guys know, I have to end it on something good. So uh, why did the pirate go on vacation? He needed a little arg and arg. You guys have a great night. Thank you.